that that would be a uh, an answer to prayer that we could rejoice over and give you the praise for. We thank of Sarah Harris today as she continues to uh, recover at home and uh, also Laverne Payne, and uh, that you would touch their bodies and give them strength and grace and give the family of Miss Laverne wisdom and guidance as they uh, continue to discuss and decide uh, where she will live in the future and that uh, there would be uh, some uh, good remedy to that that will be helpful to Miss Laverne and the family. And then also for my sister and the outcome of uh, her blood work and her blood test that you would bless there. And, uh, Lord, that you would help to uh, have a good outcome on that this week as we seek to find some answers there. Uh, we're thankful so much for the great answer to prayer in Miss Linda's life and uh, my aunt's life this week. And just uh, what a joy it has been uh, to hear your answers to prayer. And we thank you for that. We pray that you'll bless the Sunday School Hour. And, Lord, give us wisdom and insight into your word. I pray that you would help us to rightly divide it, that your Holy Spirit will illuminate the truth of it into our hearts and our lives. And then, Lord, that we will be willing and, and even pursuing after the, the object of, of applying these truths to our lives, that we would not just simply sit and, and learn the truth, but that we would take heed to them, that they would become part of us. And, Lord, that we would learn from them the things that you would want us to, that they would draw our hearts closer to you. I pray that for the next few hours as we spend time together that you would help us to lay aside the burdens and cares, the distractions that this world seems to so often give us in our hearts and minds. And for the next few moments, allow us to put our hearts upon you, to rejoice in you, and to be able to have the time that is a sweet fellowship in your word. We pray now that you bless all that we say and do that it will be an honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're in uh, Genesis chapter number 35. <coughs> and uh, we're going to begin in verse number 16. And uh, we dealt with a, a good por portion of this last week, how that uh, Jacob finally uh, is told directly by God to go back to Bethel finally. They've been in Shechem for a long time. Uh, nothing good has happened in Shechem. In fact, uh, Jacob... Um, has had uh, idolatry creep into his family in a, in a large sense. Uh, there's been a, more than just, uh, if you remember back, Rachel uh, began all the way back when they left uh, her father uh, by bringing one of the little gods with her. And here we find that after a time outside of the gates of Shechem, his whole family uh, gets involved in idolatry to, to some level and some degree. We also find that uh, his, his daughter becomes defiled uh, she is hanging around the wrong people, and certainly we've spent some time dealing with how we've got to be careful who our acquaintances are, and uh, we've got to uh, be careful of uh, the, the type of people that we associate and identify with and allow to influence and impact our lives. And I say that, and I just want to make this statement that as Christians, we, we are in the world. We're supposed to be. We, we have to have contact with the world, or we cannot uh, win them to the Lord Jesus Christ, and so... We are in the world, but the Bible teaches us that we are not to be of the world. There's nothing of the world that ought to be appealing or enticing to us, something that we look at and say, boy, I wish I had that. As God's people, we have something so great that this world needs, and uh, we need to be sharing it with them. But uh, this young lady in uh, Jacob's life, uh, Dinah, had uh, gotten uh, too close to the wrong kind of people, began hanging with the wrong kind of folks, and a young man by the name of Shechem defiled her, and as a result of that, uh, Jacob's own sons began to connive and plan and scheme, and they become murderers, and they slaughter the city, 
and uh, for what they had done to their uh, sister. And so Jacob, you can understand, is coming out of a, a very bad and probably one of the valleys of his life, you would call it. And then uh, when we get to chapter 35, God tells him, he says, listen, uh, Jacob, I never intended for you to be there. You know, he, he said, I want you to go back to Bethel. And uh, so Jacob does. He, he's obedient. We saw the great joy of that and the, the mountaintop experience, so, so to speak, last week. <clears throat> As Jacob obeys, he puts away the idols. Uh, he goes back to Bethel. And a lot of good things happen at Bethel. Uh, if you will, look with me in verse number 1, then we're going to jump over to verse number 16 in just a moment. But I want you to keep in mind this verse, because we're going to get to it in just a few moments. I believe it's very, very important. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Now keep that verse in mind, because what God has told Jacob is, he said, I want you to go to Bethel, and I don't want you to just sojourn there. And understand that uh, up until this point of uh, time in, in Jacob's life, other than the 14 years or, or so, 20 years or so that he spent at Laban's house, uh, Jacob has been a sojourner for a number of years. He, he's not really had a place to call home. And uh, so God tells him, listen, when you get to Bethel, that's where I want you to settle. I want you to, uh, the way you tried to build uh, barns and houses there at Shechem, I want you to do that at Bethel. I want you to settle in. And so I want you to keep that thought in mind. We get to verse number 16. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bible says, and they journeyed, notice this, from Bethel. Everything we're going to study this morning hinges on that phrase. That he journeyed from Bethel. God has not told him to leave Bethel. In fact, in, in verse number 1, God has told him, I want you to go to Bethel and I want you to stay there. I want you to dwell there. But for some reason, Jacob gets in his heart and in his mind, and I'm going to, I'm going to reflect on some Gregology this morning, and I'm going to tell you right up front it's an opinion. It's not something I can prove from Scripture. But as we read down through here, I'm going to, I'm going to try to point out what I think might be the reason that Jacob leaves Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was <coughs> but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benani, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And by the way, uh, that pillar is still there, even in modern times. Uh, there is still a marker there for Rachel's grave. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And it came to pass, when Israel dwelt in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bila, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. And the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, and the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan, and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad, and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, <coughs> which were born to him in Pandarim. And uh, Jacob came <coughs> unto Isaac, his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were in hundred and fourscore years, and Jacob gave up the ghost and died 
and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. I, I want us to understand something that Jacob is doing something that I believe God has not led him to do. In fact, probably going uh, contrary, if, if we understand the, the context of the passage here, he is getting away from what God has told him to do, which is <clears throat> to dwell in Bethel. As a result of this, we find again some additional heartache. And by the way, uh, I want to just make this comment, this, this, this idea, uh, that Jacob is got, he's got a problem here in this particular chapter with obedience. And uh, we, we become very critical. We look at that and we say, well, how could Jacob do this after all that God's done? And then God finally comes to him, meets with him at Bethel, uh, gives him a, a promise again and says, listen, you're not going to be Jacob anymore. You're going to be Israel. And again, meets with him. And, and, and Jacob is right where God wants him. I mean, in the center of God's will. And then we look at it and we say, how could Jacob disobey God and leave Bethel? And before we get too critical, I want us to understand that this is a battle that you and I face the same all the time. Uh, that God gives us things in Scripture and we disobey. And I heard one preacher say this one time. He said that there is never an excuse for disobedience. He says there's a lot of people who try to justify it, but there's never an excuse for disobedience. And uh, we, all, we often uh, talk about people that have fallen into sin. But do you know, uh, we willingly choose, don't we? Uh, every time I sin in my life, it's a choice. It's not because I have stumbled into it without realizing it. It's because I knew what was right, and I knew what was wrong, and I deliberately chose wrong. And, and the same holds true with obedience. There's not a time in obedience where we come to, to uh, the Word of God and we say, I know God's Word says this, and we disobey it, that, that there's ever an excuse for that. It's amazing to me how many people I've heard over the years that have said, well, I know this is what the Bible says, but... And then they go on to justify why they're not living the way that the Bible says we're supposed to live. Uh, can I tell you this this morning that there is, uh, we can look at this story of Jacob and, and be critical of him, uh, but the truth is we all battle it and there's never an excuse for it. There's never any, there's only the, the opportunity for you and I to confront our own disobedience and take responsibility for it, to confess it and repent of it and say, God, I'm asking you to forgive me for it. Help me to do better in the future. And that's the way we ought to, to, to come to God's Word. Uh, it's amazing to me when people are not living according to God's Word and they know, that, they know that the Bible teaches otherwise, how often they say, well, God knows. Well, sure He does. God knows everything about us, doesn't He? But He doesn't excuse. He doesn't justify. He doesn't say, well, it'll be okay. You just go on in your sin. Uh, God tells us that we're supposed to get those things right. And so uh, I want us to understand that there is never an excuse for us to be in disobedience to God. Here Jacob has a clear directive from God. That God has said, Jacob, here's what I want you to do. And here in verse number 16 we find him leaving. Now, I'm going to speculate for a moment. And, and if you disagree with me, that's fine because it's not Bible. Okay? When we get to heaven, we'll, we'll know the truth, I'm sure, of it. But uh, Rachel has, has never been what you would call the spiritual one of the family. In fact, really, you don't find hardly any spirituality in her at all, uh, other than just a, a short, brief moment of time after Joseph is born that she comes and she thanks God for him. And that's the, the briefest little glimmer of really any kind of spiritual condition we find 
and Rachel. In fact, uh, we go all the way back to Rachel, <coughs> and she's the one that stole her father's idols. Rachel's also the one that uh, is jealous, isn't she, of, of Leah and uh, the blessings that God has given to Leah. And she gets bitter at God. She gets angry, if anything. And, uh, and she begins to say, give me children or I die. She comes to Jacob and says, give me children or I die. I mean, in anger and frustration. She's bitter at her sister, and her and her sister Leah uh, are at odds. And I mean, just, just throughout her lifetime, you don't find uh, anything that we look at in Rachel uh, and, and find anything of, of, of any uh, spiritual nature at all. They go to Shechem, and uh, because uh, Rachel has a, an idol, uh, her children, I believe, have followed her example. I don't know that Jacob had idols, but I know that Rachel did. And I know that the children are, are always going to take the path of least resistance. That's why it's so important that moms and dads be on the same page in rearing their children. Because if one says one thing and one says another, the children are always going to gravitate to the thing that's least restrictive to them. It's human nature. And so I can't prove that, but I believe that the children went the way that they did in Shechem because of Rachel's exampleship, because of the fact they looked at her life saw that she was not as dedicated to God as, as their dad was, and they excused and justified their sinful condition because of what she had done. I don't know this. The Bible doesn't tell us this. This is what I think. I think that Rachel did not like being in Bethel. Now, follow my thinking on this, and again, I'll just give you the reason why I think this, and then we're going to move on because it's not, it's not of utter importance when it's my opinion. Uh, but, but Rachel is the one that Jacob loved. Out of all the, 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 the he, had, he had Leah, and he had the two, the two, two handmaids, and he had uh, Rachel. Rachel's the one that the first day he saw her at the well. You remember that? He goes and, and he, he meets with Laban, and he begins to work for Laban. And he was so in love with Rachel that, that Laban said, what will be your wages? And he said, I want her. And Laban and he came to an agreement that he would work seven days years for her. And you know what the Bible said that Jacob thought about that what Jacob thought about that was? He said because it said because of his love for her, and I'm paraphrasing what the scripture said here, but he said it was said because of his love for her that those seven years, here's here's what the terminology was used in scripture. It seemed like but days. That's how much he loved Rachel. And can I tell you this that you've got to be careful what your heart is set on, what your affections are set on. Because the thing that we love the most usually has the most influence on us. And I say that to say this, that there are times that we look at our life and we say, okay, I disobeyed because I loved something else more than I loved God. And in Jacob's life, perhaps it was because he loved Rachel more than he loved God that caused this disobedience. Now, again, I, I can't prove that from Scripture. I do know how much that Jacob loved Rachel. And from everything that we have about Rachel in Scripture, we do know that she was not a very spiritual lady. In fact, was given towards and had a tendency towards idolatry. Uh, that being said, Jacob does disobey. He does leave Bethel. And he reaps the results of that. By the way, uh, we always have the freedom to make our own choices. But we do not have the liberty to choose the consequences. Our, our, our sin will always bear the marks of sorrow, and it will always bear uh, the scars that we will continue to bear throughout our life. And Jacob here has some marks that happen because of his disobedience, some scars. 
We find three things specifically that are mentioned in this chapter that happened to Jacob simply because he disobeyed God. One of them is we find that Rachel dies, the love of his life. This is the one that is special to him. In fact, the Bible tells us, if we look down in verse number 16, And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed and had hard labor. <clears throat> I'm reminded of Abraham, or Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they sinned. And God comes to Adam and Eve, and He holds them accountable for their sin. By the way, God will always hold us accountable for our sin. And He comes to Adam and Eve, and He says, Where art thou? And He wants them to confront their own sin and to take responsibility for it. And He begins to pass judgment on them, and He gives each of them different things. He tells the serpent that He's going to have to crawl upon His belly for the rest of the days. And He tells the man that the earth is not going to yield its fruit easily. That he's going to now have to work by the sweat of his brow. But to the woman, he said that she, part of the curse of sin, or part of the penalty of the sin, was that she would what? She would travail in childbirth. The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. How often we look at hardships in our life and we wonder why they're there. I don't know that God specifically was judging Jacob for this, but isn't it interesting that when Jacob disobeys God's blatant and very open and very uh, uh, very concise, uh, I mean, it's in black and white, God's command, and Jacob disobeys it personally, I think, because of the influence that Rachel had on him. Isn't it amazing that he removes that thing from Jacob's life? He takes the thing that is dearest to him. Rachel, even to the point of her death, is, is entangled in a, in a view of, of, of just a, a fleshly view of things. Even to the point when uh, her son is born that she names him Benani. Uh, the word Benani, the name Benani means the son of my sorrow. And this would be an ever-living reminder to her son of, of the way his mom felt about things, the way his mom viewed life, and the way his mom viewed uh, the things of the, uh, of the Lord. And, and, and Jacob wasn't going to have any part of it. Uh, one thing I do have to give Jacob credit for is even though I believe that he's had influence in his life, uh, certainly at Shechem, the, the city influenced him, and perhaps even in his own family, his wife influences him spiritually that I do believe Jacob has at least a heart and a desire to follow God. He just keeps getting the wrong influence. <clears throat> and we find that Jacob isn't going to have no part of it. In fact, he goes on to say in verse number uh, 18 that she called his name Benani, but his father called him Benjamin. The name Benjamin means the son of my strength, the son of my right hand. He's not the son of sorrow. He's the son of my right hand. And uh, so I want you to understand this and know that uh, we find that, uh, that Sarah is really um, one that, uh, and, and I don't mean to be overly harsh or overly critical, it's just we find no indication of Scripture that she ever was an encouragement to Jacob in his walk with God. And if anything, was a detriment to him. was a way of drawing him down and pulling him down in, in some things. So I want us to look also, the second thing that happened was that Benjamin uh, uh, 
uh, not only did he lose uh, Rachel, but Benjamin, or I'm sorry, not Benjamin, uh, Reuben uh, commits adultery with uh, one of the handmaids that belonged to his father. And again, when we get out of the will of God, when we disobey God, it allows our children and those that are after us and those that we have influence over, and those that look to us as an example, perhaps, that we give them cause to justify their sin. We give them cause to say, it's okay that I do this because, hey, look at that. I mean, this, this is the person I look up to, and they have sinned. They have disobeyed God. And, and there are things in our life that we've got to be so careful of by way of testimony. There are standards that we place in our lives not only because God's Word tells us, but also because we are a light unto this world, and we are an influence to this world. The Bible talks about the fact, and, and so many times people use the verse that, that talks about uh, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the heart. And they use that verse the wrong way. They use it to justify what their outward condition is because they say, well, God knows my heart. It doesn't matter how I live. The problem is we've missed the verse. The verse is it does matter how we live. Because we're trying to reach a lost world. We're trying to reach people that we're trying to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if our testimony, if our life, if the Bible uses the word conversation, if our conversation does not match the message, then we are, we are giving an uncertain sound and, and the world is not understanding this thing. And, and so it's very, very important. Now, now here's Jacob. He's, he's, he's disobeyed God and he pays the price for it. The way of the transgressor is always hard, isn't it? He loses his wife. His son uh, commits adultery. And then the third thing we find is we find he, he loses his father. We get to the end of the chapter, and the Bible says that Isaac dies. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 27. And Jacob came unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac Sojourned in the days of Isaac were a hundred and fourscore years old, hundred and eighty years old. So Isaac is still on the scene here. <coughs> we find that uh, we haven't heard a lot about Isaac, but certainly there was still some connection between Jacob's heart and his father Isaac. We have no indication that Jacob ever made amends with his father. From the time that he left. Now, he made amends with Esau. We know that. The Bible gives us record of that. We have no record of the fact that he ever went to his father and made amends with his father. I believe that perhaps one of the great sorrows, maybe one of the great scars that Jacob bears throughout the rest of his life, was that he had never gotten things right. These scars go on to haunt him. These scars go on to hurt him. Reuben now, the eldest, the one that was the firstborn who committed the adultery, is now uh, taken out of this place of honor, the one that is supposed to be in line of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ by way of uh, the, the birthright and the, and the blessing of the family and the, by the tradition of the day, that the firstborn would be part of that lineage. And Reuben is no longer a part of that now. We find that there's a difference that is taking place here, and God is allowing Jacob to bear some of the, the scars and some of the penalty for sin. And the way of the transgressor is always hard. I know we keep mentioning that, but the truth is we live in a day where we don't believe that to be true. 
We look at that and we think that there's, there's, nothing, there, there's nothing that is going to cost us so much that we're not willing to sin. We look at that and we say, well, uh, the sin is worth it. I'll just pay the price. And we live in that day and age. Or we don't think of the penalty at all. And then we wonder why our lives end up in turmoil. We wonder why they turn up with uh, all these scars and burdens and things happening in our lives. And we think, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Why are we having these things? And I will say this. I believe that there are times that God does allow things into our life like He did with Job. And there are times that because of our life that is uh, above reproach, because of our life that loves God, our life that is seeking for God, that God tries us and proves us. And I believe there are times that those, those things happen. I believe there are times like what happened in Jonah's life where God tells us to do one thing and we run from it. And He brings trials into our life for that reason. And oftentimes in our life, we may come to a place where we're trying to figure out which one are we. Are we a Job or are we a Jonah? When these trials and these burdens and these things come into our life, we, we, we try to figure out, Lord, is there, is there something wrong? And I, and I think there's something that ought to happen every time there's a valley. In a Christian's life, I believe that one of the things that we must do is come to God in prayer and say, Lord, show me if there's anything wrong in my life. And I promise you this, if we pray a prayer something like that, God will always show it to us. He's not trying to hide it from us. And then we need to dig into His Word. We need to find out, Lord, is there something in here that I've missed along the way? Maybe something that I... And I'll tell you this, most of the time when I go through valleys, I don't even have to go to God. I already know what the problem is. Most of the time. There have been a few times that I've done it and not even realized I was doing it uh, or that it was an issue with God. I, I knew it in my mind, but it didn't dawn on me. I didn't make the connection between my action and my knowledge. And there's times that we need God to just kind of you know, knock us on the head a little bit and, uh, and say, hey, wake up here. This, you know this already. Cut it out. And then there's some times that we may not know yet. We may not have found it in Scripture. And we need to get in there and dig for it and find out what is there that God has given us in Scripture. And so we've got to be so careful of these things. I want us to, I'm going to leave you with these three thoughts, or these, these thoughts here real quick, and uh, then we'll be done. There's a great picture that's given here uh, that I think is, and some people say, well, maybe you're over-spiritualizing the passage. I don't think we are, but I want us to think about this, because Jacob goes to the Valley of Ephrath, which is right outside of Old Bethlehem, where the Lord Jesus Christ will be born uh, several thousand years from this point. And, um, and, and so I want us to draw a parallel here, or, or a contrast here, if you will. And I want you to realize that Sarah has, uh, has Benjamin outside of the gates of Bethlehem. And she looks at him as the son of her sorrow. Mary has the Lord Jesus Christ inside of Bethlehem. And the truth is that he's not the son of her sorrow, but he's the son of her salvation. Rachel, the way that she looked at life, she looked at things and uh, blamed her son. Whereas Mary looked to her son for the solution for the things that she had in her life. Uh, when Benjamin was born, it brought, it brought death to, uh, to uh, I say Sarah, <laughs> 
to Rachel. Get the right lady here. Sorry about that. Uh, Brought death to Rachel. And yet to Mary, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ brought life, didn't he? And we find a contrast that is given here. This, this one who looked to her son and said that she is, he has brought sorrow to me is a picture of our old flesh. And then we look at the Lord Jesus Christ and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe it pictures the new birth in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we get life through Him, that we get salvation through Him, we get joy through Him. And yet here we have a picture of Rachel who I believe in many cases can, can picture our old nature, our flesh. And isn't it amazing how many times, even after we're saved, that that old nature tends to um, entice, I think would be a good word to use. It still has its appetites. It still has its draw. And it becomes the battle of the Christian life. I've said so often before, the Christian life is so simple. It is so simple. The battle of the Christian life is simply this, my will or God's will. And that's it. If we can learn that concept, we, we can have victory in the Christian life. And by the way, uh, if everybody had learned that, I'd be, out of a, I'd be out of a job as a pastor. Because <laughs> the truth, well, not, not so much because we have the loss to win, obviously, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. But how many times as Christians... We struggle with all these things in life, and we seem to be so confused. And it's really a very simple concept. My will or God's will. And it comes down to that in a nutshell. Uh, it seems very simple, doesn't it? But the truth is, it's very, very hard. It's very difficult for us to do. Even though it's a simple concept and an easy thing to think about, it's one of the hardest battles we face. So much so that every single one of us, at one point or another give in to our will, and we follow our will. Even though we know that God's given us the command to follow Him and to walk in the Spirit, and we become disobedient, and when we do, we bear the marks of our disobedience. The way of the transgressor is hard, and one of the great things. It's interesting, at the end of the chapter, when they go to bury Rachel, the Bible says that Jacob buried Rachel. And in the very next word, that very next verse, it uses his name Israel. I think when Rachel died, Jacob died too. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about the man that was known as Jacob. The one that God had come to him and said, I, I called you Israel back at the, at the, at, before you crossed over the brook uh, to meet your brother. And you've been living like Jacob all this time. You're not Jacob. You are Israel. And I really think right up until the time that Rachel passed away that he still lived as Jacob. But when that, that was taken out of his life, that influence, that all of a sudden he begins from this point on to begin living like Israel. Oh, he's still going to bear the marks. But from this point on, you'll see great spiritual victory in Jacob's life. And uh, something we can learn uh, from him. I'd much rather learn it from him than have to go through it, wouldn't you? Uh, boy, I don't like learning things the hard way. I really don't. I don't like to have to have the chastening of God. I know it's necessary sometimes, but I don't like to have it. And if I can learn something from somebody else's mistake, I, I'd far rather do that. And I want to encourage our folks. You know, it's, uh, 
we get we get so distracted, so busy in this world that we begin to live our life in the old way we think is right, and we do not come back to Scripture and find out what does God say about it, and we we tend to disobey in areas that maybe we even know about up here, but we don't tie the connection to our actions. And we need to, from time to time, sit back and say, Lord, show me. Show me. All right, let's be dismissed in prayer. We'll be back in just about 15 or so minutes. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. And, Lord, that we will have learned some things from it in this Sunday school hour that will help us to draw closer to you, to be more of what we ought to be for you. And, Lord, that we can leave here today loving you more than we did when we came in and striving uh, with all of our hearts to do the very best to honor and glorify you in our lives, to do the very best at obeying you. And, Lord, I understand that there will always be this old nature fighting. There will always be the enticements of this world, and there will always be the pressures of this world. Lord, I pray that you would help give us the victory in these areas. That you would strengthen us for the labor and the task at hand in the days days to come. That you would give us your great leading of your Holy Spirit and wisdom and guidance. That we can say and do the things that we ought that will bring honor and glory to you. And that will point men to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.